So I think it's highly relevant to what I do in Web3 in that I think the mission at Uber for rider loyalty and rewards was like, how do we build deeper relationships, build direct relationships with riders in our case? How do we like incentivize and reward engagement in such a way that like we're retaining our most valuable riders? And so in some ways, it's like more costly to get a token airdrop wrong than it would be to like, you know, spend a US dollar budget on incentives that go wrong. And so I think a lot of people are like trying to build incentives and rewards mechanisms without knowing what matters within their product. And I think that's where you end up in really challenging circumstances. Hey everyone, this is Lee here back with another episode of Means of Creation. Really excited about today's show. This is recorded with one of my close friends and also portfolio CEOs, Matt Alston. Matt is the co-founder of Bonfire, which is a no-code website builder for Web3 creators, brands, and communities. Bonfire enables creators to build unique Web3-enabled spaces to host their community for one-of-a-kind drops, exclusive content, and token-gated events and experiences. Before starting Bonfire, Matt was actually a product manager at Uber, focused on rider loyalty and rewards. So he launched Uber's loyalty program, Uber Rewards, which has since then been merged with their subscription offering to create Uber One. So in this conversation, we wind our way through how he got into Web3, what he's building, the opportunity around social tokens and NFTs for Web3 creators, as well as dig back into the archives of his Uber experiences, talking about their approach to loyalty and rewards and what those learnings could mean for founders in Web3 that are thinking about their own incentive programs and how to utilize a token to engender greater loyalty among their users. So really hope you enjoy this and thanks for listening. Hey everyone. So Matt and I first met maybe two plus years ago when I was teaching a creator economy course. It was a cohort-based course and Matt was one of my students. He was probably my star student. Every week I would assign homework half the students wouldn't actually do it. And then of the assignments that were actually submitted, I was always blown away by the thoughtfulness of maths. And so I reached out, it's like, who are you? And then invested in what he's building, which is Bonfire, which we're going to talk more about. And now here we are two years later and he's on my podcast. So Matt, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it comes full circle. I still look back on that course fondly. We definitely still use a lot of those insights in our strategy. So appreciate all the work that you've done. I look back on it really fondly as well. And it made a lot of really great connections for me. So I feel like you have this really unique and interesting background that straddles both the Web 2 world and the Web 3 world. And I want to get into that. But first, I would love to have you just quickly introduce yourself say a little bit about what you're doing right now, as well as what you had been doing before. I'm one of the co-founders of Bonfire, and Bonfire is a no-code platform and creator toolkit, helping Web3 creators, brands, and communities really build their own custom site enabled by Web3. And so you bring your content, you bring your community, you bring your assets, and we're building um, tooling to allow you to design unique digital spaces to host one-of-a-kind drops, gated content, exclusive merch tickets, that type of creator fan engagement use case. And so 
it kind of shows up like a website builder, think WordPress or maybe Shopify, but really geared towards the Web3 creator and making it really easy to use Web3. And before that, I was a product manager at Uber working on loyalty and rewards. So was focused on rider loyalty and how we engendered a sense of brand affinity, built deeper relationships with riders and shifted them from a very transactional mindset to one that's a little bit more just grounded in loyalty or really like affinity for the Uber brand. And so launched Uber Rewards, which was recently actually merged with the subscription service that Uber offered to create Uber One. So if anyone's experienced the Uber One program, I was kind of part of the team that built and iterated on that program to uh, get it to where it is today. Yeah, that's all really interesting. I want to bookmark Uber for a later part in this conversation. But first, let's talk a little bit more about Bonfire. So you're building in this space that I think has like ebbed and flowed in terms of sexiness and popularity in the mainstream consciousness, which is <laughs> in the space of like social tokens or NFTs, and the crypto creator economy. Can you say more about what drew you to build in this space initially? Like what was the initial problem that you identified? Yeah. So the initial problem was really that I was fully bought into the potential of Web3 to transform creator fan relationships. I think that also extends to brands, especially digitally first or digitally native brands and online communities. So that kind of is what pulled me down the rabbit hole was seeing the rise of social tokens, NFTs, these new primitives that I felt like creators could use to really have a lot more autonomy and control, own and capture a lot more of the upside that they create. And I think having my background in loyalty and rewards, I saw a lot of parallels to my work at Uber with what I thought the potential was for these new primitives and the creator economy. But what was clearly missing in the space, especially back in 2021, was that like last mile tooling or application that actually made it easy to use these new primitives. And so you were seeing a lot of creators get excited, but then run into all sorts of hurdles and barriers when it came to like, well, how do I actually create a token? How do I actually use said token? How do I offer various rewards or benefits back to the collectors of said token? And so it was like in the actual, you know, deployment of these tools for creators, it felt like there was a missing layer there. And so I felt like I had a unique perspective on what needed to be built from past experiences working on like these rewards and incentive mechanisms and programs. And so that was really when I saw like, okay, this is something that I'm a little newer to Web3, but I think that there's something that I kind of can uniquely bring to the space in my past experience. And my partner, Melissa, is an OG, been in crypto since 2015. So it felt like we were really the right team to go after this opportunity. And so yeah, that's what pulled me all the way down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And this was like early 2021 timeframe when the idea of a social token was still <laughs> very much on the fringe of the internet. Maybe it kind of still is, but around that time period, social tokens were kind of marketed or talked about as this way to like bet on creators or invest in creators. So it was very financial, right? Well, yep. actually, I would love to hear you sort of give the lay of the landscape of like what was going on in the social token world at that point. How do people talk about them and think about them, both from the user perspective as well as the creator perspective? I think that kind of points to like where social tokens were, there was kind of these two competing metaphors for what a social token was. One was its equity. And it's like, this is to participate in the financial upside of some creator or brand or community. 
The other right. was like loyalty and rewards. And it was like, this is a tool that like allows you to participate in a more, you know, in a deeper way with the community and then receive value for the value you create within that community. It's, you know, redeemable or it gives you access to, you know, more privileged parts of the community or you get first access when, you know, new benefits and rewards are released or you get some form of status within the context of that community. So in the beginning of 2021, it was very early days, but there was a couple of like notable examples of social tokens out in the wild. I think some of the ones people pointed to FWB was kind of on the rise and everyone saw that as sort of the you know, quintessential like community token. And I think even to this day, that has proven somewhat successful, although I think it's noteworthy that they're migrating to a more NFT membership based model, or at least there's a proposal up right now to have that migrate. And for those of the listeners who aren't as familiar, FWB is this like token gated discord. It originated as token gated discord, where you need to hold a certain number of FWB tokens in order to get access to the network. And as Matt said, they're actually in the midst of migrating to an NFT-based membership versus a fungible token-based one. Yes. I think a lot of that has to do with the need for some sort of ongoing revenue stream and tokens being you know, ill-suited to provide that. But I think that was one category. And so there was communities popping up that were starting to look like FWB and issuing a token kind of on day one. And it was going to be used to like kind of coordinate this bottoms up community. Then there was like the creator token or creator coins. They went by a few different names. I think probably the key example people pointed to then was a guy named Alex Mosmej and the Alex token. And so Alex is actually a good friend of mine. I spent a month living in a house in Tulum with him near the end of 2020. And he's definitely a huge part of my interest in the space or even just understanding like what the potential opportunity was there. But what he used his token for was he essentially sold it to like crowdfund funds that he used to move to the US to start his career as a builder in crypto. And he's now the founder of Showtime. And he was also giving folks like an income share agreement, right? Like he, he, he took Walters. Exactly. Yeah, it was sort of an informal income share agreement, which I think has since sort of transitioned into more of a rewards based system where it's like I still hold, you know, a bunch of Alex tokens and he'll find kind of creative ways. Recently, he had a private Instagram. I forget the new feature that they just launched where you can have like channels, basically, where you can like post to specific people in the messages tab. And he has one of those for his Alex holders. And he's had, you know, gated telegrams in the past. I think he's still looking for ways and tools to like offer value back to Alex holders, but more in the form of like, benefits and rewards and, you know, participating in the community that he has and less so like, you know, a financial stake or, you know, receiving dividends from his income. And so it looks a lot more like your traditional loyalty and rewards point. And I think these two are kind of competing and a lot of social tokens are trying to do both jobs. And I think we're now at a point where to the extent you see social tokens at all, like people are pretty aligned on the fact that it really is more of a rewards mechanism, I think, for the creator use case. And then when you get into like protocols, I think like governance tokens obviously represent something much different. So I think mm -hmm. that it's kind of been this journey on trying to find product market fit for yeah. the fungible class of tokens. And I'm not sure we're there yet. To, yeah, to be makes sense. So so basically there were kind of two ways or two mental models that people approach social tokens through. There was the social token or the creator coin as equity. Like I'm investing in this person, I get a future 
claim on cash flows or whatever it might be, the value that they are creating, this is the way to invest in them. And then the second metaphor was, it was like a loyalty point, like your airlines points where you could earn them and redeem them and use them for all sorts of things and get perks and get early access to boarding the plane. But it wasn't directly a financial instrument. It was more of this mechanism to engender greater engagement in their ecosystem. Is that right? Exactly. Got it. And it sounds like the space that Bonfire is building in aligns more to the latter definition or the latter conceptualization of a social token, which I think also gets us into the topic of like social tokens. Where are they now? Like, I think over the the last couple of years, or if I were to rewind my memory back to early 2021, there was widespread predictions that every person in the world would have a social token or every creator would have a social token because of course you would want to align your interests with those of your fans. You want to give your backers upside in your success and like, wouldn't you want to align your incentives with that of your audience to help propel you to more growth? Now, you know, April, 2023, what has happened to that narrative that's obviously not the case. There's still relatively few creator tokens and social tokens at all in the world. I would love to hear your assessment of what happened. Yeah. So I think believers of that narrative were unequivocally proven wrong by the market over the course of 2021, 2022. And that narrative is more or less dead, I would say. I think a lot of the kind of prominent examples of platforms helping issue social tokens, I think they've had a ton of challenges managing all the complexity that comes with when you have a fungible token in an open ecosystem. And especially if you're doing it at like a small scale, like the scale of a single individual or even like a small community, it's like now you need to deal with concerns around first and foremost, like unregistered securities and like what is this token and is it compliant? And I think that's the big elephant in the room that nobody was able to kind of fully, you know, navigate. And then I think there's also just like a lot of complexity around like you're essentially creating monetary policy behind this asset. You need to figure out all sorts of dynamics around like supply and demand and how many are there and you know, is it something that is a fixed supply or does it, you know, continually produce new tokens over time and like on, you know, as a function of what, how do you create liquidity? If you even want liquidity, how do you stop there from being liquidity? If you don't want liquidity, like how does this token have a price? And then there's also like gas fees that make it really hard to enable like mechanisms like earning, you know, most loyalty rewards programs work by, you know, earning small bits of points or some form of like fungible point system through like actions that you're taking. But if each one of those incurs a $3 gas fee, then the whole system breaks. And so I think that those were really a lot of challenges that I would say I'm still optimistic long term on the idea of fungible assets as part of like the creator ecosystem, because I do think that like things that are fungible carry some different properties that are uniquely valuable. Like it's a lot easier to enable earning if you've got something that's fungible that can be accrued. And I think that's why you do see every rewards program has a fungible point system. Every video game, for the most part, has fungible currencies, you know, airlines, credit cards, hotels, like 
they all rely on a combination of fungible and non-fungible benefits. And I do think that the two are complementary, but I think that in practice, when you try to do fungible on chain, there's so many barriers and challenges that just nobody has solved yet. And so I'm not sure if the future of social tokens is actually like on chain or like, you know, one token per creator. I think it could make sense maybe at a platform level where, you know, it's used to incentivize and align incentives between a platform and its creators. I think that makes a ton of sense. And a platform, I think, has the resources to manage that type of a system. But I think for an individual creator, it's like what you want to do is create content, engage with your fans. You know, that's what brought you into the space. And what you don't want to do is deal with monetary policy and tokenomics and like the fallout from fans who lost money on, you know, an asset that they believe was going to carry value. I think that's sort of where, you know, it's hit really just a dead end for now. And I think it's, you know, lost a lot of interest in the space. So there's not as many people like pursuing addressing those challenges as there was back in, in 2021. People are kind of like just shifting to focusing on NFTs, which I think are a lot simpler, and which is what we've done as well. So now we kind of think of both as really social tokens, like a lot of NFTs do confer social benefits. And you know, they are really a social token of a different kind. But I think the non fungible variety is definitely the starting point that we would encourage pretty much everyone to begin with. Yeah, definitely. This reminds me of a passage in my recent piece about psychological ownership and how all of the things that we had predicted that social tokens would do, NFTs have actually done. And maybe more than social tokens, too. Like, it's very interesting that if you think about it, NFTs offer both of the benefits that we sort of outlined, which is like this way to bet on the success of a creator. It's kind of equity. If we expect the creator to become more successful then the NFT should reflect that increase in value, although not directly as a stock would, but it's a way to bet on creator financially. It's also, in many instances, gives you access to an ecosystem of different benefits or access that the creator might build into their project. So holding an NFT might get you that access to the Discord or allow you to participate in future content drops just like what people had predicted social tokens could become. And then on top of that, I think it's very interesting that this instrument, the NFT itself, is a piece of content too. And I think that is the critical difference. NFTs like are intrinsically valuable because people want to own the thing, the collectible that it represents, the piece of content that it represents. And in my piece, I mentioned how I think that difference of being visual or Being a piece of content allows the NFT to just inspire a lot more emotional attachment among their holders than social tokens ever could, which are just, you know, like a abstract kind of ticker symbol that people have a really hard time wrapping their minds around. Totally. Yeah, I think that and non-fungible tokens can also behave very similarly to, to fungible tokens in that, like, if you look at any of the PFP projects, like, I think what's really special about them and the huge advantage they have over fungible tokens is there's a sense of identity. Each one's unique. People become really attached to just the content itself, as you were describing. But then when it comes to like the benefits that accrue to holders of that collection, it's pretty much treated as fungible. Like for the most part, it's like if you hold any of the 10,000 tokens, you're getting access to the benefit. And so the benefits are kind of given to all collectors in a way that approximates fungibility. It's like hold any one of them and you get the access. But then it 
offers you a lot more where it can be, whether it's visual content, like audio content, video content, like it adds intrinsic value as well. And so it's kind of like doing both jobs. And so, yeah, I do think that like NFTs are a more flexible tool and they can be kind of designed to work similarly to fungible tokens in a way that the inverse is not really true. Yeah, definitely. Can you share some examples of the success cases of creators using Bonfire? What are they trying to do on the platform? And what have they cultivated as a result of their Bonfire pages? Yeah, so we really think about the value of Bonfire as being like the custom branded hub that sits at the center of a creator's orbit or ecosystem. And so, you know, we encourage creators to be on as as many platforms as they can get value from. But at the end of the day, if there's not a a hub that feels, you know, branded to the creator, that they feel ownership and control over, that they can, you know, engage with their super fans on their own terms, then they're kind of constantly like trying to manage this fragmentation. And there's not really like that center unifying piece to that ecosystem. And so that's what we want to do. And so we specialize kind of in a few different use cases that we think are very important to creators and Web3 today. And so One is just being able to have and design bespoke drops for their NFTs. And we've seen definitely the most like traction and engagement around different forms of content NFTs. So numerous artists have been putting out music as music NFTs through Bonfire and especially like their kind of bigger, more bespoke drops, for example, like an album release. And so like Daniel Allen like released Glasshouse and sold a thousand generative music NFTs on his Bonfire site. Soon after we integrated the sound protocol, so now any sound artist can have all of their sound drops also live on their own site. And so that we see used quite often by by many of the artists on sound. Same with Decent. And so we, rather than build our own protocol, we like try to integrate with protocols that are serving creators for minting use cases and then make it so that they can turn that drop into whatever front-end visual experience that they want. And they can kind of tell the story around that drop. So that's kind of the music vertical. There's been, you know, in addition to Glasshouse, we've probably done seven or eight other like album releases. And then a lot of artists will kind of like on a weekly cadence, like as they put out new music on something like sound, they also have that same experience on their bonfire site. Within podcast NFTs, one of my favorite examples is Bankless Collectibles. I think you were one of the earlier Bankless Collectible episodes that they released. Yeah, and so every Monday they have their Monday mints and they basically mint their, you know, recent podcast episode as a collectible. And that then gains you access to the community of collectibles holders. And I think they've got, you know, some plans around like how they build an ecosystem of assets around the bankless brand. And this is one portion of it, but it's, I think, a really interesting use case for podcasters. And then writers is the other one that we've seen. And so we've had some writers from Mirror. One of my favorites is this community, Write3. It's started by a creator, Greg Younger, and he essentially puts out posts on Mirror and then has a gated live stream, which is like the masterclass where he goes deeper on the content for collectors of the Mirror post. And so if you oh, want a deeper level of engagement, then you can actually like unlock access to this private live stream. There's a live stream chat. You can like participate in the discussion on a deeper level. And it's kind of his way of like tiering or like segmenting his community base. So I think that's another really cool example. Oh, that's really cool. I hadn't heard of that one before. So he basically publishes his writing on Mirror and then every post on Mirror is an NFT. 
And so token holders who collect that piece of writing can participate in the live stream, ask questions, like hear his more deeper, you know, deeper thinking about that particular essay. Is that the gist of it? That's exactly right. Yeah. And that was just a couple of weeks ago. And I think it's one of the coolest use cases to me because it's like offering deeper levels of engagement for those that are the biggest fans. And in a way that I think is valuable to him as well as to those collectors and completely free to do. And it's also happening across multiple platforms, which is, I mean, I think that is the core benefit of Web3. It's like in a Web2 context, it would be almost impossible for us to know what has happened on another platform such that we could enable tooling to engage with your, you know, Instagram super followers or, you know, whatever that kind of equivalent is. There's no legibility across platforms. And so I think the fact that he can bring his community from platform to platform in, in a very Web3 native way, I think is what makes it also like especially compelling. Yeah, definitely. I also think it's a great example that sort of illustrates what is possible with Web3 as a Web3 creator. I think there's obviously a ton of like externally, there's a ton of criticism about crypto as being extremely speculative and people buying things just to sell them trade them. But there are so many examples of creators who are actually building in utility or cultivating community among their holders that goes way above and beyond speculation. It's cultivating that real true engagement or that psychological ownership with their holders. And I think Bonfire provides like a very critical piece of infrastructure to enable these assets to transcend just being assets that you flip. Yeah. And that's very much the lens that we take on it is like, we just are adopting the assumption that there's going to be assets on chain and like, we don't really care where they get minted, but we want to be like almost the central nervous system for how you then organize your community, like offer benefits and rewards, like do so on a platform that is, you know, your own domain feels branded to you, like has flexible tools that let you offer utility in a variety of forms. So yeah, we're kind of downstream of a platform like Mirror because, you know, we're not necessarily like publishing new content or like we're not a place where you're necessarily going to have discovery or like grow your top of funnel. But we do want to be a place where you can like engage more deeply with those people in your community who like want to be more involved, who want to like give back and who want to, you know, be recognized for the value they're creating within that community. So yeah, we love working with other platforms like that where we can fill in the utility piece of the equation because we think that's like really a sorely missing and kind of was not the focus in 2021. It's definitely the focus now because, you know, there's not a lot of money to be made in the space today. And so we have seen just a much greater attention to utility and to what we think are really the long-term promises of Web3, which involves, I think, financial gain, but not you know, reckless speculation as much, at least when it comes to creators. Yeah. Returning to this analogy of like the social token, either fungible or non-fungible acting as like this rewards and loyalty mechanism. I'm curious if there's been instances of creators on Bonfire that have actually allowed fans to earn ownership, earn their token through taking different actions. Like instead of the token dating these experiences, instead flipping that to where the fan does various things and then works their way up to earning a token. Has that happened? Yes. So this is, I think, an earned insight from the days when we were on Rally, where 
on Rally, this was actually the predominant use case on Bonfire was our airdrops tool and creators, whether it was, you know, a newsletter that they were sending to people's inboxes or a live stream that was happening on Twitch, they could create these airdrop campaigns, share the link in a newsletter, in the chat, on live stream. And then people who were active and like paying attention and engaged in the content could like claim little bits of token. And like within the rally context, we had a few hundred creators who airdropped millions of coins to what was really like Web2 fans who were like actually starting to like earn their way into the Web3 community, which we thought was like really, really fascinating. But there was all sorts of challenges, I think, at the ecosystem level that ended up, you know, Rally like sort of shuttered and I think has kind of completely disbanded as of last year, or maybe it's transformed. Yeah. I'm not too sure what happened to it. Rally was this like creator platform and other blockchain right. from Ethereum. Yes, it was on a like Ethereum side chain, but kind of its own island and it helped creators create their own coins. And so we saw this use case be really effective at onboarding Web2 fans. And also, I think like really compelling in terms of like just the value that creators were able to give to fans. Fans were really engaged. People were earning benefits and rewards. But all of that was happening in an ecosystem that wasn't truly on chain and there were no gas fees. So there was like, you know, some strong pros, but the cons were that there was no interoperability with the rest of the Ethereum ecosystem. And so in an Ethereum context, it's extremely hard to replicate something like that because gas fees alone makes that sort of untenable. So I would say we're still really interested in that as a use case, whether it's earning NFTs or earning social tokens, but it probably needs to happen on L2s. And I think fortunately, like L2s, I've seen a ton of adoption and made a lot of progress in the last six months to a year. So stay tuned and look out for definitely some features in that vein in the future from Bonfire, because we, we do feel like that's something that we saw work, you know, in a way that's really compelling, but just doesn't work with the constraints on Ethereum today. And so I think it's something that will be dominant, but in the future, when a few more infrastructure things get worked out. Yeah, I think that model is really exciting. And I think it just maps a lot to precedents that have been proven to work in the real world in traditional software, where you incentivize behaviors and give users reward after they've already experienced the value excited to see that go live. I wanted to also just get your perspective on like the challenges that you've faced in building Bonfire or like what do you think are the hurdles to broader adoption of what you're doing among creators or users in general? Yeah, so I think in terms of challenges that we faced, I think a really big one is just we want to stay squarely at the application layer and like focus on building like the tools that creators can use to leverage web3 but that makes us very dependent on the infrastructure layers beneath us which are themselves maturing changing rapidly you know we actually started v1 of bonfire was entirely focused on the rally ecosystem which is no longer and so there's kind of clear platform risk if you're building on any kind of like you know, true platform versus a base layer blockchain. Now we're on Ethereum and Polygon and we support Optimism and a couple other L2s as well. And so now we kind of have, we don't have that level of platform risk anymore, but at the same time, like, you know, the protocols that we integrate with are changing rapidly as they're like working towards achieving product market fit. 
like L2s are happening, like there's kind of, you know, smart contract wallets just became a thing. And like, what does that mean in terms of like onboarding and infrastructure? And like, should we be like, you know, trying to build towards the future? Or should we like do what works now? And so I think there's a lot of challenges just as like an application builder in this space, in terms of like lots of technical trade offs, lots of, you know, balancing short term and long term. And like, how do we like iterate quickly and learn? Because ultimately, like, I think the whole space is looking for real product market fit. But at the same time, how do we build in a way that's future proof when the future is very unknown? So that's, I think, like specific to kind of bonfire as a team of builders. But then I think for creators, like the biggest hurdles in my mind are, I think for a lot of creators, like there still is a lot of reason to be skeptical if you're like not in the space today and you're not close to some of these case studies that are really compelling. And so, I mean, we try not to like spend too much time and energy, like convincing non-believers and instead focus on like experimenting with creators in the space. Because I do think that like, we're only going to get there by showing, not telling. And so it needs to be like obvious to a creator looking at the space because they see dozens, if not hundreds of like use cases that are really concrete, clearly working, clearly have value for them and their communities. And I think that we're still at the point where we're working collectively towards that end. So right now we focus mostly on Web3 creators, And I think like by doing that, we're trying to build like a library of like case studies and examples that then we can arm ourselves and go like approach a Web2 creator and answer all of their objections, which I think are like really fair. So I think that like when it comes to onboarding Web2 creators or like the mainstream, I think a lot of it is around like making it a no brainer in that like they can actually see very tangibly like why it's beneficial to them, to their fan base, like to everyone in their ecosystem. I think two is like the actual onboarding experience, wallets and, you know, how do you do, you know, I think everyone has to support self-custody, but for people who are new, who don't have a self-custodial wallet, like how do you onboard them? How do you do it in a way that doesn't undermine like the, I would say like kind of the main values of Web3 in terms of like cutting off interoperability or building it in a closed kind of system sort of way. I think that's a huge one. I think gas fees still need to come down, but I think L2s are definitely the future there for the Ethereum ecosystem. And I think, you know, there's definitely EIP improvements, which are supposed to greatly reduce gas coming in the near future. And, you know, we just finally completed the proof of stake merge, which addressed a lot of people's like very valid concerns about environmental challenges. And so I think the infrastructure is actually getting there to provide the experience that we need. But it's just taken some time. And in the meantime, I think, you know, it's a huge hurdle and a very steep learning curve, I think, to go from no context to like active in the Web3 space. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Have there been any instances of creators who are using Bonfire where you didn't anticipate what they used it for, where it was just like a creative application of Bonfire that you hadn't anticipated? So one really interesting one was the Black Dave token. So this is actually a, to our point earlier, it's a social token, but it's using an ERC-1155 contract. So it's technically an NFT contract, but it's called the Black Dave token. The like slogan for it is your money, my ideas. But it's essentially like a way for him to like crowdsource funds that he then uses for like different community activations. And it's like the coordination tool for his broader community of just fans of his work. So it's not like promising any specific utility, 
but it is kind of have the promise of like, I'm going to invest these funds in like ideas that I have for the community. And that's one where we ended up kind of helping in like the final leg of the execution, but had never conceived of an idea like that when he brought it to us and he had it mostly figured out. And we just needed to like figure out a couple of details on how to get it live. I would say a lot of the podcast NFTs as well, like we didn't really know those were happening until after they started happening. So like we see, you know, something get announced on Twitter and like the Invest in Music podcast or even like Adam Levy's, he did this activation called The Vault where he gated a bunch of content from a curated list of like Web3 influential people, thought leaders, writers. And like that was another thing that he gave us a heads up the day before it launched. And then it launched and drove 50,000 like, you know, unique visitors to his site the next day. And so there's been like a lot of examples where we kind of, you know, keep our ear to the ground on what's happening on the platform. So we'll typically like hear about something before it actually happens. But there's been a ton of examples where people find creative use cases, like fully build it, and then we become aware of it right at the last minute, <laughs> which has sometimes caused some stress, but I think has overwhelmingly been like, really cool to see because we tried to build in a way that the tools are flexible enough that you can kind of bend them to your needs and use cases. And then I think our job is to stay observant on what people are using it for and then go make those things easier. And so one thing I'm really excited about that we'll be investing a ton in is like a much richer template library so that, you know, you can start with the use cases, browse what has been done and like what we think are the most compelling use cases for our tools and then click a button and like, you know, be at the last step of that experience. And so I think like we're kind of trying to like build flexible tools with template layer on top. And I think we're kind of, you know, halfway there. Yeah, I think it's hard for creators who, I mean, this is also new that it's hard for creators to even imagine what they should be doing. And so even your mention of that example of the writer who gated this live stream on collecting the essay, I'm like, oh, should I do that? So anyways, I think <laughs> templates are a very good idea. If you had to name like one dream creator user of Bonfire, who would it be? Can I give one more Web 2 answer and one more Web 3 answer? Sure. Yes, you okay. get to. Cheating a little bit. So I would love to work with G Money from the Web 3 side of things. I recently kind of was put on to his 90cc brand and the world that he's building yeah. around that. I know there's a fungible token aspect, but obviously it's kind of based around NFTs, which I think is something that's really cool seeing the two used in tandem. So I think that would be kind of the dream amongst the more crypto native crowd. Web 2, I'm a huge fanboy of Jack Harlow, so that might be my <laughs> Web 2 vote. Now, I will say that I am not sure that the space is ready for that level like for people who are like really mainstream with big audiences like today but i think as we get there he'd probably be my like i mean that would onboard that that would that would be the major onboarding moment of this year yeah is if jack harlow did an activation with bonfire that would so. be big time i worry that a lot of things would break along the way but that would be my dream i know melissa's would be black pink <laughs> nice Love them all. Okay. These are some really good thoughts. I'll mention this to G Money the next time I see him. Yes, please do. Please do. I've never met him, but I'm a big fan. Will do. <laughs> I would love to go back to something that you had mentioned that you had worked on before, which is Uber and the Uber Rewards program focused on rider loyalty. So 
a while ago, I think I frantically texted you and I was like, I want to hear all your thoughts about airdrops and especially like the learnings from working on loyalty and rewards from the Web2 world and what you think the learnings are for Web3. I would just love to hear like any sort of transferable learnings you think you gleaned from that time working on the rewards program at Uber and how that could potentially apply to the token realm. Yes. So I think it's highly relevant to what I do in Web3 in that I think the mission at Uber for rider loyalty and rewards was like, how do we build deeper relationships, build direct relationships with riders in our case? How do we like incentivize and reward engagement in such a way that like we're retaining our most valuable riders, but doing so by giving them a differentiated experience on the platform? And then how do we leverage some of the other benefits around rewards programs, such as like, there's definitely like a financial engineering component where like you have these points and that lets you do things like work with other partners to like co-fund the benefits that the points are redeemable for. And that is then like a way that as a program, we can like gain efficiency because we're able to give value back to riders that we don't pay for. And it's actually like another company's marketing budget that's basically funding it. And I think that a lot of these like ideas definitely like apply in the Web3 context. I think, you know, a really big part of loyalty and rewards is just knowing who your customers are to begin with. And I think a big part of the problem with Web2 creator economy is that creators oftentimes don't know who their fans are because like that relationship is entirely intermediated by the platform. And so like Starbucks is an example where it's like they are on every delivery platform that exists. They have a big national partnership with Uber Eats, but they also have their own app and rewards program. And if you use that instead of ordering through Uber Eats, you earn benefits and rewards and points and They do that because it's very valuable to them to have that direct line of communication and direct relationship. And I think the same kind of applies to creators in Web3, where it's like you should definitely be using the Web2 platforms to grow your audience and they offer a ton of value in terms of growing top of funnel. But you also need like another channel where you can build direct relationships. You can actually like move people downstream and your sort of, you know, creator funnel and the super fans like you're able to engage with directly it's probably going to require some sort of incentive or rewards mechanism to get people to do that behavior. And like, that's oftentimes, you know, why there are rewards because people are not going to just choose to use your app over, you know, the place they go already, unless there's some incentive to do so. And so I think a lot about kind of like, how do creators get the best of web two and web three? And I think a lot of that is steeped in ideas that are popular amongst loyalty rewards programs in web two. I also think that a big part of Web3 is like around the fact that it's platform agnostic and, you know, these assets are yours and they don't belong to any like platform that you use, which gives you the ability to like move fans from platform to platform, have kind of like a platformless community. And I think that shifts the point of leverage from the platform to the creator or the brand. And so one thing we talk about a lot is, you know, the creator is the platform in Web3. And I think that is really because when you have assets that are on chain and owned by the creator and not owned by the platform the creator uses, it gives you just a lot greater control and like leverage over your community experience. And so, yeah, I would say that like those are a lot of the ideas. Maybe the last idea that I definitely use a lot from the Uber days 
is just like what makes a rewards program work versus not work. And I think a really big part of that is there needs to be like something that you can give to your customers that they value and which doesn't cost you a ton to give away. And I Mm. think for hotels and airlines, it's like their unused inventory. So they upgrade you to first class or upgrade you to the suite in the hotel when it otherwise went unbooked. And it's thus very cheap for them to give that away, but extremely valuable to the person who receives it. But then it becomes like, well, how do I allocate these empty seats or empty rooms? I'm going to do it to the most loyal people as demonstrated by like their past writing behavior. And so it's like a more efficient way to allocate those scarce resources. I think that was actually a big challenge for Uber because Uber doesn't have anything like that to give away. If you like upgrade somebody to Uber Black, like you still have to pay the Uber Black driver and like all your costs are like variable in that way. And there's not really like unused inventory or anything like that is both scarce and valuable that you can actually give without paying for. So I think that's an insight that I definitely took away. So what were the things that Uber gave away to its most loyal riders? So we tried to create more emotional benefits, like even just like the status itself, like priority support, like you would get discounts across like rides and eats. And so we could kind of use it as like a cross-selling opportunity, which is still a spend for us, but, you know, has a ton of potential value if somebody who was only a rider now becomes an eater. We also leaned heavily on partner funded benefits. So that was a way that we could kind of still create something that's valuable to the end user but it's not on our platform. So that kind of is a little bit less powerful. But ultimately, I think not having that core inventory was why we shifted from the pure rewards mechanism to the subscription-based one, where it kind of has a whole different set of economics around it. So now Uber One is a subscription program that has many of the benefits from awards in it. And there's still like elements of the rewards program, but they kind of needed to shift to a fundamentally different structure because they didn't have that like inherent business structure that supports, I think, what makes rewards really compelling. That makes sense. But I think for creators, they do have that. So I think that's actually really interesting is like creators have their time and attention, which is scarce. There's no way to like allocate that without knowing who your biggest fans are. They have things like tickets and merch, like Avenged Sevenfold, their Ticketmaster partnership is I think really important for the music space in particular because tickets are scarce. Like super fans are the ones who value them the most highly. In the Taylor Swift example, you could see that those people were the ones getting like screwed by scalpers. And if she had a way to like allocate the first tranche of tickets to her super fans, it doesn't cost her anything to do that. It's a much better experience for the people who like love her the most. And in return, like she's going to engender more loyalty, like build a stronger fan base. Maybe they start meeting each other because there's a meetup before the event. And now there's like a more, you know, grassroots community forming. And so I think that like creators have various forms of scarce resources and no way to allocate them today because they don't know who their true fans are. And I think that's what Web3 can kind of unlock. Yeah, that's really interesting. Returning to something that you said around how the creator is now the platform and like Web3 engenders this almost like platformless world where assets can travel. I think that has also been a liability for a lot of projects that have launched tokens or tried to do airdrops or incentivize loyalty among their users with tokens because those tokens are tradable for US dollars. Users can just exit, take their points, trade them, 
for another asset and then totally exit from that product. And so what that has given rise to is a lot of the crazy, you know, speculative cycles that people have remarked on, like where the token price grows tremendously if there's an influx of new users, but then very quickly unwinds as well. It's also led to lots of speculation on emerging ecosystems or creators that isn't necessarily sustainable because it's not backed by true enduring usage. I would love to hear your thoughts on that dynamic and how can projects combat that? How can they combat the fact that these users might not stick around? They're just there for the token. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just you have to have product market fit either first or you need to have some way of still getting signal that you have true product market fit that isn't incentivized by the token. And I think that's the biggest problem because for Uber, like they spent billions of dollars on incentives, which only worked because they already had product market fit. They knew what led to retention. They could kind of target the incentives at how do we as quickly as possible get somebody to that activation point? Or how do we like use the incentives to incentivize people who were our best riders or drivers or, you know, who were exemplifying actions that would lead to them becoming the best riders and drivers. And it was very scientific how you like move people through that journey. And there's a, you know, an ROI equation to, you know, the spend behind those incentives. And I think that if you don't have product market fit, then you're almost certainly going to waste most of, you know, whatever budget it is. And if you create a token, then on day one, you know, that thing doesn't have any real intrinsic value. Like it's not like you're spending dollars, but it does have like a tangible value as soon as you airdrop it to people. And it's oftentimes like a finite supply. Like if it all ends up in the hands of like speculators or in the hands of like whales who actually are not aligned with the project itself, it's really hard to go back from that. And so in some ways, it's like more costly to get a token airdrop wrong than it would be to like, you know, spend a US dollar budget on incentives that go wrong. And so I think a lot of people are like, trying to build incentives and rewards mechanisms without knowing what matters within their product. And I think that's where you end up in really challenging circumstances. I think though, if you have product market fit, then it's a lot easier to design a system that is, you know, consistent with the incentives of your users, but also what the platform needs or cares about. And then I think it has to be like an ongoing sort of program. I think the retroactive structure has a ton of issues with it because if you're giving money to people who A, don't know what they should be doing to earn it, you're probably not changing their behavior much. And then two is like, you end up creating these game theory dynamics where, you know, people are manipulating or exploiting the platform because they think that they're going to be able to earn because they're like trying to guess what you're going to incentivize in the future. And I think if you can state your rules, but make them like not gamifiable, then yeah. you can actually like induce the activity you want, reward right. it in, in turn, and then create a healthy system and not one that ends up getting like Botted or exploited or taken advantage of. So what I'm taking from this is like it's important to apply tokens to to situations where you already have product market fit or to use the token in order to get users to the point where they are going to experience the product in a way that unlocks their product market fit with that product. So instead of giving it to users upfront just for signing up, 
getting users to take the actions that would activate them and get them to experience the product fully and see value from it and using the token to incentivize that behavior. And then also another shift that you're recommending is basically moving from like one-time backwards-looking airdrops to past users where users have no idea if they're doing the right behaviors or not to instead making them ongoing programs where stipulate the criteria and users know exactly what they have to do and have to keep using the product in order to get the tokens, which really does resemble a lot of Web2 loyalty programs. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think Blur is doing both of these things at least on first glance pretty well. Like they know what actions matter to their product being like intrinsically valuable. Like you need liquidity and that means like low bid ask spreads and they're incentivizing you to get hopefully the marketplace to a point where people are using it because it's actually the best product. And then hopefully that means incentivized usage turns into like genuine usage over time because there's real utility because the product really works better than the next best alternative, et cetera. And they're also doing it in this kind of ongoing way where you know what you need to do, but you're still seeing a good game to an extraordinary degree. <laughs> I agree that that model, I think what Blur has done comes the closest that I've seen right. to what you're describing. It's ongoing, it's phased. The airdrops are coupled with different sides of the marketplace being built out. But I wanted to highlight a paradox to you and see what you think. This has been on my mind lately. So uh-huh. I think the paradox of tokens and airdrops is that we are both at once trying to use them as a way to incentivize behaviors, but also as a way to distribute governance power. And so that, I think, actually diverges you in terms of who the tokens should go to, because as an incentive, tokens should then be used to target the users who are maybe the least loyal to your product, the ones who are multi-tenanting, the ones who are on the cusp of becoming engaged, but not to your users who are already super engaged. But then if you think about tokens as like a governance mechanism, as conferring or distributing governance over your critical product, then in theory, you would probably want to give tokens to your most engaged, loyal users who are going to stick with you for a really long time. So those goals seem opposed. I'm curious what you think of that, what your results that would be. Yeah, so I think from like a Web2 lens, you would almost never see the same program trying to achieve both of those things. So I think to your point, it is, I think, somewhat inherently in conflict with one another. And so, you know, Uber, they use loyalty and rewards as a way to like deepen engagement. And it wasn't a targeted incentive program because it has to be blanket. Like you have to publish the benefits and the tiers and how you earn them. So it's not targeted. Then we had, you know, a big US dollar budget that was for targeted incentives, which were like trying to accomplish a different business goal. Yeah. I mean, I do think that it's going to be tricky to use something that's supposed to be equity in the project as like an acquisition tool. And then also, if you're using it as an acquisition tool, then are those the people who are best suited to have governance rights in the project right. if they just showed up? And so, I mean, I do think that 100% we're going to move to a multi-token structure where like the same project will have multiple assets that do different things. Because I think we saw the same thing with social tokens. If something's trying to be like equity and also like loyalty and rewards, well, the customer of the 
former as investors and the customer of the latter is customers. And sometimes those things are the same, but oftentimes they're not. And like you actually probably want different tokens to represent different things in the ecosystem. So I think about like, <laughs> yeah, I think we probably need to split it up and be more explicit about what each asset is for and who the customer for that asset is, like what do they need to be incentivized or rewarded to do? And, you know, I think it's just one token can't do everything. And I think a lot of people are trying to kind of make that work right now. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you that I think we're going to see an unbundling of these jobs to be done of that single token now into multiple tokens, which do multiple things. Like maybe there's a membership NFT token that confers governance power in that project. And that's like a soul bound token, perhaps to that particular individual. And then maybe there's a fungible token that you earn by doing different actions over time and that you can accumulate them and trade them. And that would be the token that you use to potentially speculate on the project or to invest in it further. But those are two different things. I think the challenge in Web3 versus in Web2 is that all this is happening in the open, publicly, on chain. And so the most loyal users might realize like they're not getting as much fungible tokens because they, they don't have to, like they're already using the product and they might feel resentful of the fungible token being used to target certain behaviors that they're already doing, which hadn't been a problem when everything happened off chain in the web two world and all of this was quite opaque. Yeah. It's really hard to course correct in web three when A, everything is open and B, everything is more or less permanent and you kind of cede control. And then you need to make sure that the system you designed works like now and forever, unless there is some centralization to course correct. And then that has trade-offs with decentralization. So yeah, I think it's definitely much trickier in Web3 and it tends to be the case that the more complex the system, the more brittle it is in, you know, empirically looking at Web3. And so like things that are simple and people understand, like oftentimes do best, but these systems are very complex. And, you know, Uber had hundreds of data scientists and billions of dollars in budget that they were deploying with models and targeting. And, you know, like it's very complex, I think, to accomplish these like business objectives at scale. And it requires a lot of fine tuning and, you know, being able to put your finger on the knobs. But I think that Web3 will get there. It's just that I think it's going to take a lot more experimentation and it's going to take a lot more trial and error. And unfortunately, like those errors end up being, I think, somewhat more costly in a Web3 context. But I think, you know, there's a lot of pros that kind of are the counterweight there. So I think it's just a trade-off. Yeah, definitely. All right. I know we can talk for ages, but I think this is a good point to wrap it up. So Matt, for those of the audience members who want to hear more about your work or learn more about Bonfire, where should they go to check it? Yeah. So you can go to bonfire.xyz to check out our website and sign up. We are open to the public. So we'd love to have you try the product and let us know what you think. And then on Twitter, I am Matt double underscore Alston because I was very late to Twitter. And um, we are Bonfire Tweets. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. 